Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. This message was birthed several years ago, and um, the Lord's re-spoke it to me recently. And, um, you know, it's hard to share because I want to honor my mom. Um, But the reality is the... It was birthed out of a revelation of what once was to what currently is. And you see, growing up, my mom and I didn't like each other very much from about the age of three. And um, she can recall the very moment that it began. And um, as simple as she was in the hospital. She was in the hospital for like six months having my little brother. She started hemorrhaging really bad, and she was in the hospital for a long time, keeping on bed rest. And back then, you didn't take kids to the hospital, and you didn't talk about anything. You remember? So as a three-year-old, I had issues with it, felt abandoned, and everything changed. Three years old, my mom came from the hospital, brushed my own teeth, got dressed, took my bath, fed myself, leave me alone, I can handle myself. And um, so, you know, the guilt of a mom, and so the process began of us, right? And you can about imagine how bad it got. And my mom had a very traumatic childhood herself, and so she had a lot of depression and things to deal with. And so we literally could not stand each other. And she would tell you the same thing today, that she didn't like me at all. And, And it's fine, but growing up, I just remember nothing positive, right? All negative, negative when it comes to my mom. And after I got born again, the very first thing the Lord dealt with me was my relationship with my mom and that we were to restore it, and I was to trust him. And so it, the, the process began of the restoration of that relationship. And then I can remember um, the last time my mom wasn't speaking to me, it was about 10 months, and it was a time when Zach and I were getting together, and um, Zach had driven a couple of hours to ask my dad if he was able to date me. My mom still wasn't talking to me, so she refused to meet him. And um, it was during that time frame that the Lord gave me a vision one day when I was on the floor in church, and it was my mom and I shopping together for my wedding. And I laughed out loud, (laughs) because I didn't have one memory shopping with my mom. And that was like, (laughs) that was hilarious. She's not even speaking to me again. And, um, but God can make all things new. And so he began to do a work in my mom as he was doing a work in me. And um, my mom calls out of the blue and says, can you come to Lafayette? I want to talk. And, and that was the last time we had to make up. Amen. And, and not only um, did we make up, but we did all that shopping together. And we have talked more in the past seven, eight, nine years than we probably talked my entire life. And um, so when I think of my mom, my precious mom, I don't even remember those days. That's why it's hard to share because that's not even who she is. If you would talk to me about that woman, I would say, who? Huh? Because there's no anger. There's no guilt. There's no bitterness in her that I see anymore. I I see the loving, caring, nurturing mom that did the absolute best that she could do with me in life. And she's precious, right? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today 
is who you once were and maybe even who you are today does not have to be your legacy. That, that God is continuing to write our story. That he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And what we once were isn't what we, he's creating us to be. Amen? He sees who we are in the future. He sees who he's creating us to be. And it's our job to what? To just fall on the rock. To allow him to do the process in us. So Hebrews 11.11 11 says, by faith. Everybody say, by faith. Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who'd promised. Him faithful. You see, the awesome part of the story is it wasn't about my mom doing something, conjuring something up to make herself new. It wasn't about me conjuring something up and me to, to forgive and to see. Because my perception probably was a little off. Come on. I wasn't saved all those years. But he is faithful. He is faithful. She judged who faithful? Christ himself. God is faithful. And so let's talk a little bit about who Sarah was. In Genesis 20, 12, indeed, she's truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So who was Sarah? Sarah was 10 years younger than Abraham. They're both children of the same family of Terah. But Sarah wasn't even spoken about in the Bible until she was 65 years old. So we're talking about Sarah, who we all know is a great woman of faith. I mean, she's, Hebrew, she's listed in Hebrews 11, right? I mean, she's listed in the roll call of the heroes of faith. But her life was so insignificant up to 65 years. I mean, how many of you think, I mean, 65 years, you have a lot of time to do something in that time period right? I mean, I'm 39. I'm thinking, you better talk about my life before Zach, right? But 65 years, she was seen as insignificant. It wasn't even spoken about. And here she is, 10 years younger than Abraham, and she's finally spoken about as becoming his wife. Genesis 11:30 says that Sarah was barren, and she has no child. You know, one of the funny things was, I think I got married at 31, and one of the things that was ridiculous, especially in the church, is I was always introduced as Heather, and she's single. And if you're single, you're like, why do you say that? So the Bible says, this is Sarah, she's barren. <laughs> do y'all follow it? I mean, like, what is up with that? And then if you're today, if you're married and you have no kids, they don't have kids yet when you're having kids. You get what I'm saying? She's not even being introduced as Paula, Barb, you know, or if you're the, you're the younger sibling of, this is Sophie, this is Riley. Oh, that's Autumn's sister. No, I'm Sophie. I'm Riley. Um, Try to paint a picture of kind of who Sarah was. She obviously wasn't seen as anyone of stature or, you know, a, a, a nobility or, or someone to speak about. She was, she was kind of an afterthought. Oh, she's, she's just barren. This is all scripture says about Sarah's first 65 years. She obviously, though, had a key role to play in the plan. Abraham could never become the patriarch of a great nation if, if she did not first become mother to his offspring. She was surely aware of the Lord's promises to Abraham. She certainly would have longed to see those promises fulfilled. As long as she remains childless, however, the sense that... The sense that everything somehow hinged on her must have pressed on her like a great burden on her shoulders. You know, I can remember 
the Lord speaking to me years before I met Zach and, um, and get another vision. Man, if you don't like getting baptized in the Holy Ghost, you really need to. There are some moments with God that are just priceless, that we hold on to it for all of our days. And I was caught up in this vision, and I'll never forget, and there I am holding hands with someone. Before you think this, I was single and happy being single. I didn't want to get married. I was totally content being single. And, um, but there I am in this vision. I'm holding hands with a man. <laughs> and um, I saw the fire of God in both of our bellies and the breath of God in our mouths. And the Lord said that I would not fulfill my calling alone, that my calling would be fulfilled with my spouse. And, it, and, and at that point, like, I, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> because I knew that there was more stretching and change that would have to take place in me, right? That, that it was change to come. But I had a hope of something to come. I can also remember being on the floor before I ever met Zach. And the Lord telling me, speaking to me about my womb and that I would bear children. I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> There's not two berries in the Bible, right? So, <laughs> again, hadn't met Zach yet. So it was a little weird. But so once we got married and we, we were putting off, you know, if I got married at 31, you start putting off having kids. How many of you know everybody in the church is like, oh, time's running out, sister. You better hurry. But so I held on to those promises, just like Sarah here, holding on to the promises of God. You don't know how they're going to be fulfilled. You know, Zach had, when I had that first vision, I, Zach had never stepped foot in Victory Fellowship. I hadn't met him yet. I was in full-time ministry, pastoring on my own, and fulfilling up to that point what the call of God was. But he showed me that there was more. There was more for me. And, and, and I had had zero in the natural that showed and bore witness with it, but I held on to the seed that God placed in me that day in that vision. Just like Sarah didn't really know how it was all to happen, but she had faith that she was part of God's plan for Abraham. Amen? So then in Genesis 12, 21, the Lord says to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house and go to a land that I'll show you. So here we are, they're married, and then Abraham and Sarah become vagabonds. They didn't have it. He didn't even say, move to Akron, Ohio. He said, just go to a land that I'm going to show you. And so they, in blind faith, just begin to trust God, pack up their stuff, and head out. They were sojourners. They were vagabonds. What does that mean? That means they had all their camels and their livestock, pulling all their stuff, and they just headed out in a direction of where God was leading them. How many of you know that's going to take some faith? That's going to take some faith to believe that your husband really heard from God to go. And then pack up and with a good heart follow him. Genesis 12, 12 says, Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they're going to say, This is his wife and they're going to kill me. But they will let you live. Please say you're my sister and that it might be well with me for your sake that I may live because of you. Oh, my word. Now I'm a living as a vagabond. I gave up my nice house. And now we're going, and you're not even going to claim me as your wife because you're chicken? You're going to call me your sister? I mean, how many of you women might have a little problem with that? <laughs> so, so here they are in their marriage. Things weren't always hunky-dory. They probably did marriage counseling 101. <laughs> 
I could just about imagine her face. You want me to what? You're going to put me in that situation, and I'm sure he had his justification. But boy, oh boy, things weren't always hunky-dory. Sarah, in this situation, remained devoted to her husband. In Genesis 11:29, then Abraham and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishak. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And so John MacArthur talks about this. He says that she was obviously tortured by her childlessness. Every recorded episode of ill temper or strife in her household was related to her frustrations about her own barrenness. It ate at her. She spent years in the grip of frustration and depression because of it. She desperately wanted to be a mother, but she finally concluded that God himself was restraining her from having children. So badly did she want her husband to have an heir that she concocted a scheme that was immoral, unrighteous, and utterly foolish. She rashly persuaded Abraham to father a child by her own housemaid. Predictably, the consequences of such a carnal ploy nearly tore her life apart and seemed to leave a lasting scar on her personality. Her bitterness seethed for 13 years, and she finally insisted that Abraham throw the other woman out along with the child he had fathered by her. You know, so often we look and we read these scriptures and these stories, but we don't read in between the lines. This woman, I mean, she would have been tortured for 13 years through this, through her decision. And, I mean, have you, you know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Have you ever lived with anyone bitter or depressed? You know, even just someone for a couple of weeks or a couple of days that won't talk to you, but we're talking about 13 years of absolute chaos in that home. I mean, I don't think Abraham looked at her as a soft and loving, you know, rose petal flower right? I, I, those servants in that home probably looked at her as, wow, she's coming. Oh, here she is. And every time she came out of the tent would go scurrying because I don't want to get in, the, in her wrath, in her way. I, she probably woke up every morning. Yep, here's another day. Another day without a child. And everyone that came in her path <sighs> just got the wrath of her hurt and her anguish. Not because she was this mean, horrible person, but because sometimes life happens to us. And when we don't process it through the eyes of Christ, it begins to take hold of us. It begins to take root. And that root, root begins to display itself in outbursts of anger, in, in wrath, in bitterness, in, in all these vicious, ugly things that aren't the fruit of the Spirit, but, but God. Sarah's story did not end there. Are y'all following okay? Genesis 16, 2 and 3 says, So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. No, lady, not a good idea. Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dealt, dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, 10 years after, this means Sarah was 75 years old. So they had been married for 10 years, and 
had the promises of God, but were like, hey, if we're going to ever make this happen, now's the time, and this is how it's going to be. She was no longer holding on to faith, but devising a scheme to help God out. I think we can all look at her and say that was foolish, but if we look back at our own lives, we've probably done the same. Some of us might be doing that today. I'm just going to help you out a little bit. But it doesn't always work out well because now she's going to have to deal with what she's sown. She's sown a scheme and is going to have to reap with that. <clears throat> Sarah does get restored, though. In Genesis 17, starting in verse 15, And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you're not going to call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be called her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. And she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. You know, I love that in the middle of Sarah's depravity, because really that's what it is, it's depravity, God still looks at her and calls her blessed. We might be in the middle of the worst of our seasons of life. We might be saying, who are you, you ugly thing? Why are you acting like this? But the awesome thing is God's love for us isn't dependent on who we are. It's dependent on what Christ has already done for us. And so he, he tells Abram, I will bless her. She will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years, bear a child? So we're talking like almost another 15 years have passed. Talk about holding on to the promises of God, right? <laughs> and in verse 21, it says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you, and set this time next year. So this is 13 years after Hagar bore Ishmael. Could you all imagine? Oh, we think we have it bad sometimes. We think our lives can be so just imperfect but here we have a woman who we're going to we're going to read later she is listed in in the roll call if you will of the hebrews book of faith of the women of the bible the men of the bible that we're to look up to but this is what she bore he didn't call and say our lives are going to be perfect he didn't say come unto me and i'm going to make all things beautiful <laughs> he did say his yoke would be easy and his burden light meaning that he's going to be there and enable us and equip us in all things, in all seasons, in all ways. But she went through it. So if we go on Genesis verse 18, and we'll stay here for a little while, Genesis 18 to 21, it says that he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. They were well advanced in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Have you ever laughed at God? Saying, I have, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely I, shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But 
Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. I'm so glad my conversations with the Lord are not recorded. <laughs> oh, how he deals with us. The verse 14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it goes on, but at the appointed time. You see, unfortunately, we, want, we are in a microwave society. We want things when we want them and how we want them. We just want it done. But, you know, it takes nine months for that baby in that womb to be formed before its birth. It takes a lifetime of preparation before we enter in, into the kingdom. And that lifetime is different for all of us. But there is an appointed time. There was an appointed time for Jesus to be on that cross. There was an appointed time for us to be born to this world. And there is an appointed time for the promises of God to come alive in our lives. Not before and not after. And you can say, oh, that's easy for you to say. Look, there are so many things that I have waited on and waited on and waited on and thought, am I ever going to get these things? Right? I can remember, you know, I was in the business world, and I can remember um, getting called and interviewing um, with the Baileys. And I was like, look, I really don't want to go do this. Like, it was after Katrina. I'd already seen a bunch of, Ugh. I was like, I just really don't know if I want to do this. Are you called? Yes. Well, then, why don't you come and be our assistant? We'll figure out if you're called. Take a $20,000 pay cut to go into the ministry. What? And, and go on staff. And I'm thinking, fine, I'm just going to be their assistant for a little while. And then I'll start pastoring and living my calling. It'll be fine. That little while began to see time and time again, youth pastor and young adult pastor rolling over, right? <laughs> and I would get overlooked again and again and again. And I'd be sitting there. And as their assistant, I could hear every conversation. And I was like, so my name didn't even come up again. Have you lost it? You know I'm called. You know that I'm the next one in line. You know this is God. And yet again, my name was overlooked, right? <laughs> Everybody in ministry or internship is going, yep, in there! <laughs> I can remember dating Zach. Oh, not even dating him. We're getting ready to date, right? And he's like, we, we come to the realization, okay, we really, you're just being mean to each other because we like each other, so let's stop being mean to each other <laughs> and date. And so he just, we decided we were, we were going to date. So he's, gonna, he's like, I'm going to go and, you know, and ask your dad if that's okay with you. And, and I'm like, yes. So it takes him six weeks to go and drive to Lafayette to ask my dad. I'm like, seriously? Sit, you're going to wait six? You're going to tell me you want to date me and wait six more weeks? So then he, he meets my dad. And I'm like, dad, you grill him, man. He doesn't grill him. No, he just shakes his hand and tells him, take good care of my daughter. And I'm like, why couldn't you grill him? And, um, but I'm like, we get in the car, and I'm like, I can forgive my dad because Zach's going to ask me to date him now. The two and a half hour drive home, he didn't even bring it up. <laughs> Six weeks and two and a half late hours later, this woman is still waiting. <laughs> so a whole week goes by, and he's going to take me on a date. I'm like, he's going to ask me now. We're on Royal Street in New Orleans, and we're doing all the shops, and I look so cute before the 100-degree weather, and 100% humidity takes off all my makeup and flattens my hair, and I'm frolicking the streets, and we go to this little 
courtyard for lunch, and I'm like, oh, he's going to ask me something. Sitting all proper. <laughs> and he still doesn't bring it up. I'm like, I'm going to hurt you. He gets the check, he pays the check, and it still doesn't ask me. Finally, he asked me to date him. So three months later, I'm leaving to go to Africa. I'm like, Whew. So I leave to go to Africa, and I'm like, Lord, this dating thing's a little difficult. Can you just speak to me while I'm gone, and if you can just tell me to break up with him, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. <laughs> just speak to me. So I leave for Africa, and I'm there for like a whole 72 hours before the Lord tells me he's to be my husband. I'm like, are you sure about that? So I connive all sorts of things, Rick, that whole that two weeks. So I get back, and I'm like, Lord, if it's really you, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. So mind you, up until that point, you know, Zach and I, we had, a, we had, a, we had an amazing courtship. We really did. And and I'm telling you all the elaborate funny side. He tells the same story. We laugh at it. And, um, he'll, but he'll tell you how stubborn I was the whole time, and I was. <laughs> and so we get back, and, you know, up to that point, we hadn't even hugged in our courtship until the night that I left for Africa. And so much less didn't sit right next to each other. And um, I'll never forget, he was, doing, he was taking care of my house and getting my mail, and I got back home, and he had cleaned the whole house top to bottom, rearranged stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat down and we sat down next to each other like next to each other and I was like uh oh this is not good <laughs> he's comfortable oh this isn't good and so I'm like how you doing he's like oh, I'm good I just the Lord's really been speaking to me and I just wanted to talk to you and I'm like uh huh huh and I'm like I will do anything to change the subject because I'm like oh no and the Lord spoke to him that he was, I was to be his wife. And so I'm like, I have to tell you something. He spoke to me too. And so it was his precious moments. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is the love of my life. We're going to get married. We're going to get married. A month goes by. <laughs> Six months goes by. Nine months go by. A year goes by. At this point, I'm like, dude. Don't even talk to me about our marriage or our wedding until I have a ring. Like, because I'm waiting, just like Sarah, right? I'm waiting. But what I didn't know, and let me tell you, that whole year, you can about imagine how stubborn I was, right? That whole year, I didn't know what, what Zach had in order. And you see, right after he, the Lord spoke to both of us, he'd gone to our pastors. He told him what the Lord spoken to him, and he knew that I was going to be in Paris one year later. And he asked for their blessing over our marriage and asked that he propose at the Eiffel Tower in Paris a year later. I didn't know the plans that Zach had made. So here I am for a year being a snot. It's all about me, buddy. You, you should make me your wife. You should put a ring on it. How often do we do that with God? We don't know the plans God has for us. We don't know why he had us move. We don't know why he had us change jobs. We don't know why our bank account is X, Y, Z. We don't know why we got sick. But God knows the other side of the story. 
but God knows the other side of the story. So here I am being a little snot because it's all about me. And little did I know I'm going to have the engagement story of a lifetime. That every girl's dreams. My, he, even, he asked my dad. He waited until I left the country. I was in Bulgaria. And he calls my dad to ask for my hand because he knew my dad couldn't hold a secret. <laughs> Not that big. So there I am at the Eiffel Tower. I'm trying to plan stuff with the team. Next thing you know, I turn around. The team is all looking at me with their cameras. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. Oh, my gosh. So I turn around, and there he is. And, you know, it's all precious. And he proposes. The team's all there. Jenna was there. She thought it was hilarious. And um, I remember calling my dad and saying, I'm engaged. And he says, it's impossible. You're in Paris. I'm like, Dad, he came to the Eiffel Tower. My dad, my dad was like, what? What? Because he couldn't even believe that Zach went so above and beyond to make it so special for me. Beyond anything I could ever have hoped or dreamed for my life. I was the one that thought I was going to be single forever. Yet here I am with the precious love story of all time. What's God planning for you? See, I almost messed it up with Zach. I almost did. I almost left him. I caused to be extinct. I mean, there's other, situ other things involved with it. But I was trying to thwart his plans. And how often, just like Sarah stepped in and said, hey, I'm going to make this happen. How often do we do that for God when on the other side he has something so much better for us? So much better. And so I don't know where you are in this story, but God. But God. In the appointed time, another year passed in Sarah's life. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah just as he had spoken. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son his old age, when at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And in verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. And that's the legacy that Sarah leaves, is that Sarah's life may have been insignificant. Sarah may have lived bitter. She may have made everyone in her household miserable, at her actions. I mean, she let, if y'all think I let Zach know, it was only a year. Could you imagine 13 plus years for Sarah and what she did in that home? But at the appointed time when God came and fulfilled his promise in her, she chuckled and laughed at the days past and laughed at the days to come. That's the kind of legacy you and I want to leave. That we can look at the tough times in our life we can look at the hardest, most discouraging times and know that God was right there the entire time. And his plans weren't to hurt us, but they were to prosper us. They were to be for our benefit. They were to be to the perfecting of our faith in him. Those days weren't lost for Sarah. They helped her in becoming who she was meant to be. That she would be the type of woman that we today would look up to. That we today, how, you know, for a husband to say, hey, she's not really my wife, she's just my sister. I mean, you were supposed to protect me and cover me. Yet today I call you Lord. How many of you know there had to have been forgiveness and restoration 
in that marriage, for her to honor him in that way. We're given a fascinating insight into Sarah's real character by the fact that she saw genuine humor in the way God has dealt with her. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Despite her occasional outburst of temper, her struggles with discouragement, Sarah remained an essentially God-humored woman. After those long years of bitter frustration, she could still appreciate the irony and relish the comedy of becoming a mother at such an old age. Her life's ambition was now realized. The memory of years of bitter disappointment quickly disappeared from, you, from view. God had indeed been faithful. Faithful is he. Hebrews 11.11 says that by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she had judged him faithful who had promised. And 1 Peter 3.5 says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What a legacy she lived. You know, just like I was telling you when I began that, you know, my mom's story, my relationship with my mom, our story was one, one way the first half of my life, more than that. But the latter half is a whole different story. We have forgot those former days. We don't even talk about them anymore because those are long gone. You may not be happy with what you've been dealt with in life or where you are, but your story is not finished being written. Your past doesn't define you. Your present circumstances don't define you. The love of our Heavenly Father is what defines us. What is He speaking over you today? What does He promise in your life today? Do you not know that the old things have passed and all things have become new? Do you not know that who the Son sets free is free indeed? We don't have to hold on to the anger. We don't have to hold on to the bitterness or the rejection. We can step in as a daughter, as a son of the Most High. How do I do that? You don't even know. It's easy for you. No, you got to remember, my story used to be that I was a druggie, that I, that I dealt drugs. Then my story was I was just this shameful girl who had a horrible past. Boo! That's not who I am. That's not my legacy. Yeah. I was that broken, wounded child crawling with the tail between her legs because it's a horrible life. But God, now I've got the Cinderella story. Now he's come and redeemed me and set me free. I no longer am bound to the things of the world. I've got the one where my beloved met me at the Eiffel Tower and made me his. I've got mine where the entire drug rehab program waited in between the gates to see me get out of the car because they knew that if I could become whole in Christ, they could too. They had to see me in my wedding gown because it was hope for them, hope for a future. So all of a sudden, how I was once shamed and hidden in a corner, now become a light for the world. That's your story too. Redemption is for us all. What's your legacy? 
Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the shame. Who cares if you messed up? We all have. And if you don't think you have, God bless your soul. You need to be awakened because we're all filthy and nasty. We've all had things happen. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. By His grace, we're saved. Don't be the one lacking faith. Don't be the one that's stubborn. Don't be the one that, I don't want to go up there and be look like that. Who cares? What's your legacy going to be? You don't think I wanted to go up to the altar calls at first? I was mortified. I did not want anyone laying hands on me. You people are weird. But God, my moment was when I knew that if I didn't go up there, I would miss what God had for my life. When you become so sick and tired of being sick and tired and you just want God, I don't care what it takes and how it happens, I want Jesus. That's when you'll leave all the things of the world behind. Who cares? I was the first one born again in my family. I was the first one baptized in the Holy Ghost. First one going into the ministry. They all thought I was nuts. It wasn't until my wedding that anyone even acknowledged that I was a preacher girl. And it was because my entire rehearsal dinner, everybody kept standing up talking about, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and you were laying hands on me. You were there when my mother died. You were there when... And everybody was going, you do all that? <laughs> it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. <laughs> What's your story going to be? What's your story going to be? At some point, we have to take the hand. At some point, we have to take the hand. I could have sat in service after service and heard great messages and had God speak to me. But if I always just sat in that pew and never got up, never walked to the altar, never went to the care group, then it wouldn't have allowed God to complete that work. And there are still things today that I'm believing for. There are still promises of God that I'm holding on to. You know, one of them I'll share with you quickly if y'all believe that, quickly. <laughs> you know, years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said that um, I wouldn't live to fulfill the plans that he had for my life if my body couldn't sustain me. And that was the first time in my life that I had ever gotten overweight or blah, blah, blah. And um, I couldn't go up the stairs. Some of y'all know this story. I couldn't walk up this flight of stairs. <laughs> and I'm an athlete, and that was mortifying. So ever since then, I eat clean eat healthy, and I work out. And I love to run and work out. It's like awesome. I'm there five days a week busting it, right? Well, after the, everybody knows I got crazy thyroids. Well, after the, after the Jonathan was born, everything went out of whack again. Oh, my word. It's out of whack. So I'm still eating clean, for those of you that are wondering, and I'm still working out five days a week, sometimes four. I'm still doing boot camp, still running, and I'm gaining weight. So, and I'm tired, and I'm miserable, and I can't breathe, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So I log all my workouts to make sure that I'm actually working out. Still can't figure it out. So then I'm, I follow him at the gym, and I'm like, I, Megan is my workout partner. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care that I look like a fat sausage. I am a child of God. I'm in kettlebell. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm in kettlebell swinging the bell. I'm a child of God. And he says, and I'm preaching to myself, 
over and over because I don't care what it looks like in the natural. I know what he's spoken over me. I know what he's done in my life. And I'm going to live it regardless of what it looks like to everybody else. I don't do it for you. I do it for myself. I don't do it for a number on a scale. I do it for myself. And that day, I didn't know that it had grown so big. It's literally suffocating me from the inside. It's literally, literally, what is it called? Narrowing my trachea. My esophagus is being pushed to the side. So I didn't know. But God, but God. So it's going to get taken out and it's all going to be fine. It's going to be a dramatic process. <laughs> but the point of it is, is we live by faith. Yeah. We live by faith. So I'm still holding on to those promises. So regardless, if y'all hear me like the whole time, it's because I can't breathe. But I'm not going to live by the natural. I'm not going to live by what I can see today. I'm living by the promises that he has called me to greater things. He has called me to a supernatural work, that I am, I am being obedient and taking care of my body, that my body may look one thing, but let me tell you, it can do a whole lot more than most of these people. I mean, it's going to go by faith. What are you believing for today? What are you believing for? And they're going to join up and partner with God to see come to pass in your life. Amen. Pastor Grace, y'all want to come on up? Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me today? I'm done. <coughs> Thank you, Jesus. Your legacy your legacy you know it was by faith Sarah believed in the faithfulness of God and that's what carried her through from season to season and glory to glory and so maybe you're listening today and you're like Pastor Heather that all sounds great but God is so far away from me he doesn't have to be He doesn't have to be. He is just one step away from all of us, and all we have to do is reach out and grab his hand. And today you can know without a shadow of a doubt that he's your very best friend. Today, without a shadow of a doubt, you can know that you'll be with him for all of eternity. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.